Question the Self is brought to you by my friends at Luna Bay Booch. In a male-dominated space, the alcohol space I mean, it's a hard kombucha that is female-founded and founded by my friends. With flavors like Palo Santo blueberry and hibiscus lavender, it's a delicious, refreshing treat that makes you feel lighter and fresher than beer or other booze. Made from yerba mate tea, probiotics, and the simple ingredients you see in the flavor names. It comes in beautiful colors thanks to the real ingredients that they put in it. Also, every time you get some booch, they give back 1% to the planet. Go to lunabaybooch.com to see where it's sold and follow them on Instagram too. These are my dear friends. I'm proud to be an ambassador for them, and I'm proud that they're helping make this podcast a reality. Welcome back to Question the Self. This is your host, Jedediah Jenkins. Today's episode is with Kaylin Russo. She is an incredible singer, model, dream, seven wing eight, but I, I actually think her Enneagram might be seven wing six, but we discussed this. I love this conversation because not only do we talk about like what it's like to be a musician in this weird city, but also we talk about social media and being a public person and like really just representing yourself and being authentic versus doing what you think you're supposed to do to like have a career like that. It gets pretty deep and interesting. And we also talk a lot about her working with Kanye, being the only girl in the writer's room. Hello. It's fascinating. Enjoy. I want to ask you, you're the first guest I've ever had that demanded to be <laughs> a guest. And so I want to know what prompted you wanting to be here. I feel like I just have this dying urge to talk because I feel like I'm really not seen or heard. And I just, it drives me nuts. Not seen or heard by who? I think myself and like my audience and just people, I just want to connect really. And I don't feel like I've done that or like done it successfully. So I feel like I'm kind of just like being shelved in the back. And I like, I really have this Mm. dying urge to speak. Oh my God. (laughs) Do you feel like, not to throw your friends under the bus, do you feel like you have a community of friends who understand what you're going through, what you've gone through? Or is that more like you're, you feel like you're shifting in some way that makes you feel understood? I'm definitely shifting. My, My community is super... Uh, supportive and they'll definitely listen to me and I talk a lot to them too but I just I'm like I want to talk more and talk bigger and expand like that's where I'm at Mm. yeah okay so give me (laughs) give us an example of something that you would say has shifted for you in the way you see yourself the world in the last few years I feel like I was very confused through the pandemic and like just through being an artist and all of this stuff um about like your position in the world and I think recently or I've always like kind of downplayed everything I've ever done Mm. and so I remember reading like in a C.S. Lewis book a thousand years ago he was talking about how we're taught to say humility mm -hmm. is if someone says you're a really good singer you say no I'm not no I'm Mm -hmm. not when you know you worked really hard and all right exactly and And, and so he goes on to say that is false humility True humility is he, I think he uses the example of a bridge builder. And he's Mm -hmm. like, if you built the most beautiful bridge in the world, you would say, look how beautiful that is. (laughs) If someone else built it, you would also say that. Look how beautiful. Yeah, exactly. You you mean you don't try to own beauty. You say, wow, how amazing is it that I get to contribute beauty? Yes. And I think that's the turning point at which I'm at right now. Like the difference between being humble and being, having humility and also just like, wanting to step into something and like own something. And I I guess I've just am recently trusting myself and that's been a huge thing. And like watching you and listening to everything that you do, I'm just like, yeah, I want to speak. I want to like talk and expand and grow. Do you believe in like the Saturn return and that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, my shit's getting rocked right now. (laughs) I'm in Saturn return right now. It feels like I'm riding a bull. Mm, Say more. (laughs) I mean, it's... Every day, I just am, like, it's a whirlwind of emotions. There's, like, definitely a calmness undertone, but just 
navigating through everything and trying to execute and like finish projects and share has just been so difficult and trying to understand like who I am to the core is also very difficult. Isn't it funny that like, I mean, I think about this a lot and and have talked about it ad nauseum, but the idea of the Saturn return is so interesting to me. And if you don't know what that is, it's generally age 27 to 33, which is this window of your life where when you're a teenager, you're absorbing the world. Everything is being told, you're told, even if the teacher is saying one thing, magazines and, inst- and Instagram and TikTok are saying something else and you're absorbing something about how to be. And then you spend your early 20s trying to be that thing. Mm-hmm. But, but in truth, it's at the end of your 20s where you start to go, what am I really? Because I've been doing this thing that I was just on autopilot trying to make it in the world. But now I'm realizing some of these things aren't me and I actually think other things and I'm actually bigger than that. Or I, Mm. I never wanted to do that in the first place. Or I've actually had a film over my soul the whole time protecting me from God knows what. Yeah. And you start to shed that. And I think that's whether or not your Saturn is in a place and there are pulls from planets or not, that time period of having been alive that long on this planet just really tracks with most people I talk to. I wanted to ask if you went through that as well because you're so confident and assured in everything that you say and talk about, especially with like your view on philosophy and life and experience and just even being an author in like a digital world I wanted to talk to you about because I'm like, that's a bold ass move. But you're living in your truth and I see you and I'm like, it's just so amazing. The whole reason I got to know that section of time is because that is when I just at 27, I decided to quit Invisible Children. And I said, when I turn 30, I'm going to bicycle across the world and become a writer because it was like right around then that I was like, what is my purpose on this planet? And it wasn't like, I'm going to be a writer forever. It was like, Well, up until this point, I've been on the assembly line of life, and I just want to try things before I have a mortgage and a family, and then trying things is too risky. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I might as well try being a writer, and if I suck, okay, I'll go back to what I was doing before. I don't Mm -hmm. care. Yeah. So it was this, like, I really felt like I wanted to be in the driver's seat of my own life, and so I decided to quit my job three years ahead. I quit it at 30, did my bike trip, and then wrote my book at 33, exactly in that It took me six years to really become Mm. the thing, but it was in my head. So I did that. And then in talking about it, you know, L.A., somebody with like crystals in their ears was like, you're set in return. You're right on time. And I was like, I was like, whoa, (laughs) it's true. I know. It's so crazy. The mystic side of life is is really wicked. (laughs) (laughs) So. All that to say, you are right on time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your um, current career trajectory is true to who you're wanting to become? Is it like career is ripe, but mind is shifting? Well, I think in my early 20s, when I was making music, I was really scared. And I really didn't want to believe that this was like my truth. So I kind of... When you say scared, scared of what? Nothing. I think I was scared of just putting myself out there. Yeah. Being judged, failing. Yeah, exactly. And I was super happy with kind of letting people label me and, like, position me. And I was okay with being a pretty L.A. girl or, like, just anything that wasn't to do with arts because I feel like art is very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got to a point where I was just like, no, this is not okay. And it was seven years later. Because I, I've had, like, so much music and so much to say for so long, but I don't feel like I was ever nurtured mm. or, like, accepted that that was an okay path for me. Like Even was, though your dad is a musician. Yeah, my dad's always been super supportive, and my, both of my parents have been super supportive. But I went through, like, the Taylor's Oldest Time L.A. label thing where it's, like, I was picked up super young. They, like, crafted me in a certain way. And, I, and who's they? An old agency. label. A- yeah, agent, label. label. I did the 360 deal. Um, and explain what that is, because not everyone knows. 360 is basically when you sign up to, or sign up for an upfront advance, and like you have a label. To create an agent. album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to create a body of work. And they'll take care of everything. They'll do like your your PR, your videos, da-da-da. 
you're recording your recording budgets. They'll put you in the room with people. Like, they will take care of you. And then in return, they own everything that you do. And you have to recoup. Like, you have to pay back everything that they invest. From your sales. Mm-hmm. And wow. you don't make money off of it until you pay it back. But I was modeling on the side, so I was I was still hustling and, like, doing things outside of it. Um, but it was very confusing. Yeah. And especially- it's also big, like people in a boardroom or whatever where you're just an artist and they're like this is how it is and you're like is it well yeah i like i left a lot of trust in them to tell me how it is and to tell me what i should be doing and i just i felt my ship steering this way and i really it was super uncomfortable Mm. and up until now i'm like oh this ship is steering this way you know and that's why i'm so like assertive and all these things because i'm just like yeah, actually, now I do have something to say. I'm not scared. There's nothing to be scared of in the first place, but, like, right. I'm very much, I'm here. I feel here. So how did the 360 deal work for you? We started a band. I didn't want to start a band. They um, said you're doing a band. They said I'm doing a band. And they said that it was never going to work as a single female artist at the time because there was, like, Billie Eilish and George Smith and all these girls that were bubbling up. Um, so they were just like, we, we need to have a different avenue for you. Uh, and that kind of like just dismantled me. Right. You're like, wait, what's my input here? Yeah. I was just like, oh, that just, it just took my self-worth down to the bottom because I'm like, oh, I'm not good enough to like do that. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and so it was just a lot of walls up against me and every suggestion I had within that company was just no 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 like I never got a yes it was super hard um but I we we split ways over COVID oh you did yeah and were you sad happy I was elated elated Mm -hmm. because if they did if they didn't want to split ways as well could they have kept you like where they have the power Mm -hmm. because you're just the young ingenue yeah I mean they Definitely believed in my potential, but didn't know how to water me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, it happens a lot. And I think with this new generation, it's going to be fine because everyone is so fucking awake. Like, everyone is so self-aware of yeah. their existence. But I don't know, when I was doing it, there were so many different things popping up and off within, like, genres. And, you know, what's, what's cool. Um, and then even, like, different platforms because, like... It just shifted all the music. If someone was popping on TikTok, like, that's who's going to get more attention. It's, yeah. It was really hard to plant your feet in the ground and be like, this is what I am and this is what I'm worth. Imagine yourself at 20, 21, 22, and you're thinking, this is what I want with my life. And imagine getting everything you wanted versus how you would answer that question at 28. Getting everything I wanted at 21. Yeah, like, what did you want then? What did you think you wanted, I guess I should say? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you I, wanted to be a musician, yeah. but maybe not in a band. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted the notoriety. I definitely wanted the, like, the stamp of, like, nah, you got this. And at 21, I definitely had some songs that, like, would have done some movements for me. I, I guess I would just say to her, like, the 21-year-old, just... Put it out. Mm. Just literally put it out and keep growing. I think also the best way about being an artist is to grow and watch yourself evolve. Because you had music that you did not put out Mm. because... Because of fear. Fear. Not because the label said no? It was both. You know, we, we shot two videos and did... We had two, like, big singles that we were ready to push. And then I was like, I don't like this song and I don't like this video. And so, therefore, it was all shelved. And then they were like, we're starting a band. Mm. So it was both parties, but... I, so fear kind of held you back. Fear, and I honestly believe it was just lack of nurturing. Like, lack of mm. someone just being like, how can we figure this out so that it's not painful for you or, like, not scary for you? You know what I mean? Like, What would, a, what would the right nurturing relationship have looked like? Like, who should that have been? I think it's An just, agent, a parent, a friend? Oh, no, it's definitely... I mean, for me, I'm very, like... I'm very family-oriented, so if any manager or anyone in my business that I'm working with, I'm like, I need that type of love yeah. and that communication. Yes. Yeah. And you got it or didn't get it? I got it now. You got it now. I got it now seven years later. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what has been, like, an L.A. girl living in your 20s 
being in Justin Bieber videos, working with Kanye, like, in my mind, I would say you, you have lived these last eight years or whatever. When did you move here? Ten years ago. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, 18 to 28, okay. A decade <laughs> yeah. in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> in the videos, uh-huh. working with the biggest people on the planet. How would you describe that lifestyle? Is it fun? Is it sucking, soul-sucking? Is it actually not as bad as people think? Is it worse than they think it is? Because, I mean, everyone in the world knows what it's like to be here because so much media is from here. Mm-hmm. Whether it's TikTok or the Kardashian or an influencer or whoever, they're seeing it. Yeah. And everyone's like, what would that be like to live that life? I think there's a, there's a dual perspective with it. Because for me, I have a lot of unwarranted pressure. Like, because there is a side of being in a, in a public eye to whatever extent that, like, makes you feel like people are watching you. But in reality, nobody fucking cares. I don't know. It has its pros and cons. The best part about it is that I feel like a night walker <laughs> sometimes. Like, <laughs> sometimes out of the blue, somebody will recognize me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. That's, like, very affirming. Affirming is definitely the word for, like, working with those people because mm-hmm. I'm like, you guys are very special aside from just being famous. Both of them are, like, very gifted and just amazing. Um, so that's, like, really cool to just be associated in yeah. those parties. That makes me feel like I am also special. Mm. <laughs> you are. So are you. <laughs> how did you get on a Bieber video and then another one? Like, how did that happen? My dad was friends with the casting director and... I came in super late. I was the last person to cast for the video. And I literally just sat on the couch with him and asked him how the video process works. And he goes, watch, I'll show you. Shows me a screen, pulls my computer to the top, or my um, audition to the top, sends it. It's the first video they watch. And watch, I I'll it. show you. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just because I asked to see how he, they like submit the videos. Wow. And the second one, Justin asked me. Duh. <laughs> That's so cool. And then what? how did you, I mean, I have so many questions about Kanye. Everyone does. Yeah. I have never met that person, mm-hmm. but we all know a lot about him. What is the energy in his presence? Like, in what context were you working with him? I was, um, I was definitely a sound, like a sound bank or like a soundboard soundboard yeah <laughs> yes i was a soundboard um i was in all of the meetings like with all the other artists for the album so if we'd be discussing certain songs certain parts i helped with production i mean i was i would piece together parts of i was basically like building songs out of freestyles wow yeah and then i was in the writing room like writing with people and it's really wild because cut to like two years ago i was writing and just dreaming so hard that I was like, I just want to be the best songwriter in the world. And then I was in the room with some of the craziest songwriters. So what is, when you're in the writing room, what is happening in there? Like, walk me through a night. Is, I'm assuming it's at night. Yeah. Let's, we're, okay, we'll go to 3 a.m. We'll go to the hurricane session. 3 a.m., there's like 12 of us in a in a locker room because we're in Atlanta at the arena that he was staying at. Staying mm-hmm. at an arena? Yeah, he stayed in a, in a locker room arena for like months. Living in it? Mm-hmm. A locker he rented room? he rented the arena and slept in a tiny room. But it was all to cultivate the energy of the album. It was insane. It was wicked. It was so cool. Wait, it was that so is intense. he set up a bed in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And it was tiny. It was probably the size of this room which is what like small. Like 20 by like 6. It's small. It's like a tiny garage. Yeah. Single car. Yeah, single car garage. That's how big the room he was staying in was. It's in his live stream, but he was actually sleeping there. And it's not meant to be a room. It's meant to be an office or like a place where men change. Yes. It was the proper sports locker room. And wow. we'd go there and we all wore uniforms. Yeah, it was wild. It was really fucking cool. How honestly. do you set up a writer's room in a locker room? Like, I thought you, every time I've thought of a writer's room, it's like all the sound stuff everywhere and the. It looked like this. They just brought it in. Mm-hmm. It literally looked like this. Which is just a laptop and a microphone. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, 12 of us all just spitballing concepts and ideas and writing. Okay, how can you say that you were, you had so much fear about putting yourself out there that you wouldn't release a song and you could be in a room with 12 people, including Kanye? (laughs) Like, I would be silent. Um, There were a lot of moments where I was silent. 
there were a lot of moments where I was fucking scared. But I think coming out of that, one, I had like super emotional whiplash. I was like, whoa, it was crazy because the energy in there is just intense. And then I think, you know, coming out of that whiplash era, I'm now like, okay, I know I was there. Like I did that, I showed up and I kind of, I feel like a badass warrior bitch. I, it was it like mostly men? Yeah, it was only women. You're the only woman in the yeah. room. Yeah. What did that? What did that feel like? Because you're also like a young, beautiful person. So that's like in a room full of men. It's got to be. I mean, Kanye is probably gay, but that's fine. You're probably <laughs> safe, but maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty good at cutting off sexual tension. Mm. Um, I think. My my energy is very, like, natural and essential. So for me, it's fine. If anyone, if anything got weird, it would just be, like, in passing. I just wouldn't bother. But nothing was really weird. Because you don't allow it. Yeah. It's not even, like, a thought in my brain. But there was definitely a lot of competitiveness and a lot of men that didn't want me there because of whatever reason. Interesting. Oh, yeah. That was more so than anything else. And how did you perceive they didn't want you there? By just their energy? Yeah. There were a couple of incidents that were, like, pretty bad. On the nose. Mm-hmm. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I was gaslit once, and I was... Yeah, there were, I would say, three instances that I will go into at another time. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't have to use names, but we love names. But no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is not a gossip podcast. But... But we should have... Yeah, we'll have that conversation. Yeah. This is, like, a weird thing to talk about because I think it's one of the final frontiers of, like, it's even hard to articulate. So, sometimes, if you're beautiful and or if you're rich, Mm -hmm. and having those two things causes you problems, a lot of people don't want to hear it. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'll never forget this billionaire... I'll say his name, Sean Parker. He co-founded Facebook. He's the one, Justin Timberlake plays him on the whatever. He had said, no one feel, he was, something was horrible. Like he was being shredded by the press for X, Y, Z reason. And he was like really sad. And he was like, no one feels sorry for a billionaire. And he's like truly devastated. Yeah. And yes, even I'm feeling right now, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like Mm. you're a billionaire. Yeah. Figure it out. But that is, Therein, like, hidden in that statement is the belief that if only I was a billionaire, I would do it right. If only I was mm. like that. Mm. Like, that's why people judge. Because yeah. they're like, if I had that. But I think having the extremes of things. And so people who are beautiful, conventionally attractive, like, I'm a handsome motherfucker. But I am not handsome to a degree where, like, I am, like, sexually a- attacked a lot or like mm. where I don't even know if I can have a friendship with somebody Yeah, because they're going to be like, Ugh, they're going to fall for me again. <laughs> you know, whatever. That's fine. But I, I'm curious because I, similar to you, I don't invite that energy. Mm. And so I set the tone, even like I found out that people liked me for years and I didn't know because mm. I didn't. It's just not even in it's your. It's not in yeah. here. I know, it's because you're so fucking cute. It's because we're a seven-wing eight. I know. (laughs) Although I think this is devastating. I think I'm a seven-wing six. I recently just really went deep. Let me explain. So, listener, what you need to know is Kaylin and I bonded over the fact that this is the Enneagram, the numbers that, like, I highly recommend you Google it and take the test. It's very helpful. Um, We're sevens, which is an enthusiast. We're the light of the party. We're the joy. We're the, like, what's next? Let's go taste every flavor. Let's go explore the world. And an eight, you usually are a wing on one side of the number. And a, a eight is the challenger, the person who will, like, get in people's face, who will, like, say the scandalous thing, who will do the, like, do the scandalous thing because they want to, like, push the boundaries. And so, like, a very fun person who's willing to trespass and sneak in and steal the booze and what it's like, that is usually a seven-wing eight. And I am fun. I do like to trespass. But then I was really thinking about, like... Like, I had my first kiss at 28 because I was a good boy and I didn't want to break the rules. I didn't have sex till I was 30 because I was a good boy and I was afraid of making God mad, which was really making 
my family and my hometown community. I was scared of rejection. Mm-hmm. And a, and an eight wing wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. An eight wing would be like, fuck y'all. I am alive. I am free. I'm moving to LA. I'm living. Where I was fun, but I always was like, I'm secretly gonna fall in line and be the be the good boy and the best boy. <laughs> do you do you identify with that? Yeah, I think I actually am a seven wing six. If that's true, don't you sure. feel that? Doesn't that ring really like? Absolutely, I'm such a simp inside. <laughs> Outside, scary. Inside. Tender. Tender. By the way, I think the vast majority of outside scary people are inside tender. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> They're just like, that's a wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, Not absolutely. that you're scary. You're not. No, I think also it's just a young thing, too. At a certain point, you're like, I don't need to break the rules. But I did notice recently that I was like, oh, all my best friends were actually the rule breakers, but I love being around them. Because Me, too. Because they were the bad ones. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe we're just mischievous. <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> we're mischievous, but we're not going to, like, break a window. No, I'm not going to break the window. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. That is not the vibe. Plus, I think both of you and I... Or both of you and I... <laughs> yeah. Are cosmic, so, like, when we do something like that, it's very... It's a lot louder than if someone else were to break the window. Yeah. What do you mean by cosmic? Because that feels true. Um, I just feel like... And, I mean, I don't mean to sound audacious or anything, but, like, if you go to a party, you're not going to be ignored. You know? If you break the window, it's going to turn into a thing. I feel that's true. Yeah. uh, I will say this, and I've given credit to my name, but maybe this is an annoying conversation, but, like, I have friends and people in my life who... People forget their name every Mm -hmm. time we go to a party. Yeah. And they... People reintroduce them, and it's, like, hurtful. Because they're like, yeah. I have met you six times. Why mm. do you not remember my name? That never happens to me. No. Ever. And I, I think it's because I have a weird name, but also <laughs> maybe because I'm, I'm like shooting rays into their brain yeah. that I don't know I'm doing. You're extremely present and hard to ignore. So that's f- actually, I feel like, the other side of this, the, like, L.A. life, girl life. Mm. It's like I could live my life under the radar, but it's actually really hard and that will also you can't be in the shadows because it's just like the shadows the 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 spotlight the, the, is gonna the, find the, you the sun will find you yeah yeah that's mm-hmm. so interesting which sounds really cocky but it's just is what it is and I, i'm reading this book right now called shambhala the like the path of the warrior have you heard this book no it's literally what it says it's like if you are if you're walking in the path of the sun the sun will always find you and they're like whoa mm-hmm that's good. And it's kind of about stepping up to the plate and like understanding that that's what your truth is. I don't find that that much of my life has been super like go to the seminar, do the seven steps, overcome my like build my willpower and then I'm going to do the artist way and then I'm going to do this thing and then I'm going to do that self-help book and then I'm going to finally achieve greatness. Mm. I have just been like following the smell coming from the kitchen, trying to find, Mm. like, what's in there. Mm. And do you find that you have a lot of willpower, or do you find that you've always just kind of moved where your gut's moving? It's both. I think I had... I just moved where my gut was moving for all of my life. And then between 25 to, like, 27, basically after a huge breakup, I was like, whoa, I need to... I have sea legs. I need to figure out um, what my essence is. And I kind of got a little hyper-tuned, like where I was paying attention too much and got a little high-strung. Mm. But I did attract a lot of amazing things, like like the Kanye stuff. Like, I was working a lot on myself, like being very, very studious and for no reason. Um, which I think felt like you wanted to. Yeah. But you need balance, especially as an artist. Like, you can't orchestrate authenticity or, like, natural juice. It's so true. It's like, it's funny because people ask me, how do I become a writer? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I'm, I can tell them what I did. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know why anything is what it is. (laughs) I mean, that's, I'm a writer and I'm a, I I think about all this stuff because I want to know. Yeah. But I'm like, does the sunlight follow you? And if it doesn't, how do you move into the light? Like, what is that? I think... I think everyone has their own sun, Oh. you know, and you just have to know, you just have to really trust 
where you're going. What would you say to somebody who's like, I go to a party and no one looks at me. I wish they did. Oof. I don't know. I guess that's kind of how I feel about social media. Mm. Just because I'm like, my shit's not popping right now, which is fine. But I'm like, okay, I have to just make it popping in my world. Like, to me, you know what I mean? As long as I think it looks fly, you know, as long as that person thinks that they look fly and they're showing up for themselves, like, that's it. Mm. As far as, like, getting attention from outside of people, I mean, just at a certain point, you just don't fucking care. Well, and you can't possibly... You can't make people pay attention either. You really can't. Mm -mm. It's like, unless you are, like starting serious drama. Like, you know who can make people pay attention is Kanye. Yeah. But but his his allegiance to attention is like a price that I don't want to pay. I completely agree. But it's it all, honestly all factors into his art. Like, mm-hmm. it's fucking wild. He really thrives off of just intensity and experience. And yeah. he conjures up crazy shit. Oh my gosh, when I was working there, I got followed out of the studio once. Like, aggressively followed. By who? By a car. All the windows were black. I, like, had to pull into my ex-boyfriend's house because he lived near the freeway. I was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't want to go home. I, like, whipped into his house and, like, scurried up the stairs. And they waited outside of his house for, like, 15 minutes left. Another time I was there. And you'll never know. Never know. Another time I was there, I had my car parked, like, down the street from the studio. There's video footage of another car coming hits my car, like, it's driving from the opposite side of the road. So, like, I'm facing this way, it's on the right side, I'm parked on the left, boom, hits, like, the energy that's conjured there is crazy, and especially with, like, someone like me, too, it's also very crazy. Wow. Mm. Do you find that, like... I have a question, though. Oh. Because you also are around people that are super amazing and cosmic and all these things, like, do you not find that things are magnified when you're with people like that? Are things magnified? I haven't noticed, like, car crashes or anything like that. Like... That might just be Kanye energy. I know. I think Kanye is, like, like, cosmically something. Yeah. Um... I... I have a very precarious kind of, like, hot and cold relationship with, like, spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. I think because the spiritual world wounded me from being so evangelical Christian and, like, looking for the Holy Spirit and angels warfare, that, like, anything spiritual, I'm a little bit like, mm, what is that? <laughs> you know, like, are you using that for power? Are you using that to make me believe something for whatever reason? Mm. And so I think I have... I think I have overreached in my pendulum swing away from evangelical Christianity to the point where now, like, anything energetic or spiritual freaks me out. And, and to the point where I don't look for it. That's, I think that's... So, so something could be happening. Re- like, you might perceive something mm. and that I wouldn't think twice about. I'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, oh my gosh, that car. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have associated... That I'm like in the orbit of a creative genius. That I would, my neuron wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And so that might definitely just be where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's the most beautiful truth, you know? Yeah. Like seeing everything as like a cosmic, a story that the cosmos is telling is really exciting and cool. But I don't know. I find being living in LA, being around very prominent people. To me, as a person who's like a micro public figure where there are, I think anybody in the world who has hundreds or thousands of strangers that know about their work and know who they are is, it's just, that's weird. That's rare. Yeah. And anything above a hundred people is like, you can't possibly know them all. And Mm -hmm. so that's like a weird thing because also, especially if them caring about you is also your livelihood. Because they buy the thing you make. Mm. And it's tethered to you. Mm. Like if I made cups mm-hmm. and and my entire livelihood was this cup, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Yeah. I could be on 4chan doing weird things to dogs. I could be going to weird <laughs> conventions. I'm making cups. Yeah. It doesn't matter. 
But if if the product is personal songwriting is your voice, mm-hmm. your face. Yeah. The product is my mind mm-hmm. and my face and mm-hmm. my voice. That's like an interesting. I mean, it's called a parasocial relationship, which is oh, it's there's a term for it. It's when a it's we all have them too. It's like. If you don't personally know Michelle Obama, mm-hmm. but imagine you die for Michelle Obama, yeah. right? And you know everything she does, and you mm-hmm. maybe you listen to her podcast, maybe you hear her voice, and you when you listen to Becoming, maybe whatever, and you're like, I know this woman. Yes, this is my yes, bitch. Yes, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a because she doesn't know you. No. So that's a parasocial <laughs> relationship. It's yeah. like you really feel like you know them. Yeah. But you don't. And so we both mm-hmm. experienced that. Yes. And I. But what I was going to say is living in LA, being, like having major celebrity, like major, major celebrity people in the orbit. Yeah. What it does is it's an interesting thing where when I map it onto my own life of like, okay, well, that's taking the like wind out of the sails of if only I was X, I would be Y. Mm-hmm. Like if I, <clears throat> if I was as famous as Elizabeth Gilbert and sold 15 million books, if I was as famous as Adele and filled a stadium, then I would be happy. Then I would have the biggest house. Then I would have the beach house and whatever. Mm -hmm. But then I know these people and they have these homes and they're like stressed about their, their love life, about their raising their children, about Mm -hmm. their, they're like exactly the same problems as everyone else. The only problem they don't have is, is can I pay the bill? Yeah. But now they have the problem of, oh my gosh, like my pool is exploding or like there's a bat's nest in my atrium, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we got to get that, you know, like there's always, it's just shown me that no matter how high you get, the human is still there. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And so to me, that makes it, makes me feel like sort of what you were saying about on your social media, just posting what you like. Mm -hmm. It's because A, I can't control anyone. I can't make a person like anything. And also, I don't know what they like. I know what I like. Yeah. And if they like you, then they'll probably like what you like. (laughs) Yeah. Or if I like something, someone in the world probably likes it too. When is your album coming out? I think August. And what's the album title? Do you have it? It's called Influx. Influx. Mm -hmm. Very of the moment. Yeah. I named mm-hmm. it like a year and a half ago. I've been working on it for two and a half. You years. called it in. Yeah. Wow. What is the process <laughs> when you write a song? Are you like in there with a co-writer? Are you in there with twelve people? Are you in there with the same co-writer, or is it like mixing it up? Mm, in the past, I've done like really sporadic sessions, which is just a producer, and then you know sometimes we'll get a co-writer. I had like my guard up for a long time about having other people write with me because I was like I can do it myself. But honestly, having a soundboard is very helpful because a lot of the times the songwriter will pull things out of you that you like couldn't reach before. But for the album, I think it was like equally put together with me and a producer, with me by myself, and then with me and some other songwriters. I'd say there's probably like 22 people involved. So when you're in the room with someone else, Mm -hmm. are you both coming with new ideas or are you coming blank? We'll come blank. Um, usually if I'm writing for me and I have a session for me, I'll be like, this is something that I want to talk about. This is something, this is an experience I want to write about. This is like an idea that I can't get out of my head. Like, like a phrase or an idea. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I'm trying to think if there's an example. Oh yeah. Okay. So for pineapple crush, the phrase was, thank you. The phrase was, you came on strong, like the sun on my back. And I was like, I really love that visual and love how that makes me feel. And Mm. the song kind of wrote itself around that. And I was listening to Rihanna's Wild Thoughts. So I was like, like, the Rihanna line or whatever, play with me like you're Santana. Oh my God. (laughs) What is like, but you, you, do you like hum a line or like, are you just going, I want to fit a summer or not? Like, <laughs> what's happening? Like, I've never that been in a room great. like that. Really? You've never been in a writing session? Well, so I did backup vocals for Adele's song, Hold On. Stop. So there, she brought us, like, 14 of us and, like, her close friends. And it was in the Jim Henson studio, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Yes. And we go in there, and I think it was Inflow is behind the giant 
this is why I blew my mind when Kanye is in a locker room because when I did when I was in that room, it was a one of those giant boards with ten thousand knobs, mm -hmm. and then a glass. There's like a booth, and then we were in this like room with all this padding, yeah, and a bunch of microphones, and a piano. Mm -hmm. I don't. I just can't picture like what's happening. But but the, we went in to do background vocals. So the song was that she played us the song, and yeah. she was like, "This is where you're coming in." Yes. So that's different. I mean, but if you're looking at both of their worlds, like Adele is so much more textured and soft and all the sounds are very thought through and Kanye's is a lot harsher and industrial and intense. Like that's the energy that he wants you to feel. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Mm -hmm. So you, you're saying that like the, the, even the vibe of the room you're in is influencing Absolutely. the sound. Mm -hmm. So where did you record? Uh, I recorded all over the place. The first song we recorded in Frogtown at the studio, and that was like a mix of like three different artists that I was just getting to know. And that like really pulled out different parts of me that was really fucking cool. That's like what birthed the whole start of the album. And then Pineapple Crush was made on FaceTime. All the vocals are voice memos. No. Yeah, we were on FaceTime on the computer, and we'd be singing the melodies. And I think Oscar is who I made it with, who I now live with in L.A. Dope. He's British, yeah, but it was in the middle of COVID. So that was, like, written in my room. Fates Interlude was written in my living room on guitar, and that's actually just a fantasy. Wow, I could imagine writing from home mm -hmm. where you're most comfortable. You could, like, there could be a certain access to vulnerability when you're, For like, sure. in your own space. Yeah, but if... I mean, I haven't written, like, any turn-up songs in a while, though, because I'm not turning up, and I'm also not in the environment that's turning up. But, like, yeah. if I was, I would love to make a, make some, like, club music. <laughs> you really should. Yeah. You would be really... I'd be I think very so. excited for I it. I think I only have, like, five more years of doing, like, that kind of music. So I'm, like, after this album... I mean, I do really want to do, like, earth jazz music, like, a lot, because I actually... I think that's where I exist. But, but you could do a turn up and then then you've got your thirty your mid thirties and on to, to do like Nora Jones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to Nora Jones and out. <laughs> what is your like spiritual background growing up? Mom's side of the family's Mormon. I went to Mormon camps. I know. I didn't know that. I mean I wasn't like super practicing, but I definitely read the Bible and I would go to church. Did with you them. ever go to that white cathedral Mormon temple the in temple? San Diego? Oh, no, no, no. That's the proper temple. You can't go there unless you're, like, oh. baptized and you go through oh, all these oh, things. Oh. But it. I've been there a bunch just because, like, they'll have their weddings and stuff there. But outside, you can't go in. I can't go in. Yeah. I've been inside a Mormon temple. How? Because when they build a new one, an mm -hmm. official one, mm -hmm. for the first two weeks before it is, like, consecrated by the holy powers, mm -hmm. it is open to the Gentile public what? for tours. So Newport Beach, California... They built a temple when I was in college. And all my friends are from Orange County because I went to USC. And we would see it. Like, yeah. it's right off the 73. You can mm -hmm. see it. And it's beautiful. And somehow somebody got word that they were opening it to the public on whatever, August 1st and August 14th. It's closed forever. But if you come, oh, yeah. you put on little white booties over your shoes mm -hmm. and you do a tour. It was... Amazing. Is it really? Yeah, okay. I've always wondered. It's so thing. beautiful. So mm -hmm. you walk in. This has now been a decade or a long time ago. But you walk in, and to the right, it's huge. You walk into the right, there are um, giant oxen statues, that's marble. What I, that's what I picture. And on their backs, so maybe it's 12 for the 12 tribes of Judah. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then they're all standing butt to butt, mm -hmm. so their heads are out. Oh, whoa. And resting on their butts in the middle is a giant bowl. But, I mean, a bowl bigger than this garage. Yeah. And that's where they do baptisms. Okay. In the thing. Wow. Then you, like, and apparently, I've, I'm, tr I'm trying to remember, as you go deeper into the thing, that it's built like a spiral like this. So every time you go into another room, you're a foot higher or a, a little bit higher. Cause, and then the final, final rooms, we weren't allowed. To, those are, like only for the most. Mm -hmm. But like we went to the room where you like kneel on, the, it's like for weddings. There was this like bench with like green felt bench and on either side of it was like a red and a blue light mm -hmm. or something. Like, mm -hmm. and it was where like you kneel and when you're getting like married, you confusing, and, something. Yeah. So, but I just remember finding that 
finding that to be so interesting because growing up Southern Baptist evangelical Christian, the Mormon religion was such an interesting window into my own beliefs because it's just like mine, mm. but just different enough to where I can see what I'm like from the outside. Mm, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it gives me the distance, but I'm also like, we're basically the same. Yeah. Are you still practicing Christianity? No, I would say that I call myself a Christian because, like, it is so ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And, like, there is so much beauty to it and in it. But, like, if you really break down the tenets of, like, the way that it was taught to me that, like, Jesus died for your sins and everyone who doesn't say the Lord's Prayer or, or you know, give mm-hmm. their life to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and repentance of sins burns in hell for all eternity. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, at this point in my life, that cannot be true. I don't think it, that's true. I also think we're at a new age of... um awareness as opposed to like religion it's like a religion and now awareness i guess i think so but also we're in a we're both sevens we're both like in a philosophically exploratory city yeah whereas like that's very true if i lived in houston or birmingham alabama and mm-hmm. i mean i was raised in that world nashville yeah. tennessee mm-hmm. and i'm so curious I can't, like, live another life. So if I had lived in Birmingham, what would my life be? Mm. I don't know. Well, it'd I, probably be very... It'd be different. But then I'll, then again, I wonder if my nature, if the sunlight following me, mm-hmm. if I would be this no matter where I was. I think you would. I think I would, too, but I just can't know. Oof, I, honestly, I don't know, actually, because I think we are all just products of our environment. But I do, you know, we are both here right now, and that's not because we were forced to stay anywhere is because we had a, a yearning to come here. That You know what? That's true. And also, to like speak out of both sides of my mouth, when I moved to California, that was the most intense Christian religious community that I ever knew. Mm-hmm. Like, I was in the most intense churches. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking in tongues, prayer language, speaking casting out demons, like the most. I Stop. mean, we didn't do it a lot, but it existed. I would like... I felt so bad that the spirit hadn't visited me. I would like go to the closet and just imitate it to try to like grease the wheels. And I would be like, Shana, I don't know how many went. Yes, Kaylin. I would try because I was like, I, why am I not having these spiritual experiences? Why mm. am I not weeping at the presence of the Holy Spirit? What is wrong with me? Mm. And so I was like, maybe you got to fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like do that at the front of the church. No, no, no. That is one thing about me. That is like, I am not a faker. Yeah. I wanted to bring up this concept and just going back to even the 21 to 28 year old, it's like listening to the truth. And I couldn't fake being in a band. I couldn't fake not doing the moves that I knew that I needed to do. It just took me a really long time to get here. And I wanted to ask you if you felt the same way. And it sounds like, yeah. Totally. The thing was, it's like, I wouldn't say I was ever lying or faking. I was trying my best to believe something that I thought I was supposed to believe. Mm-hmm. I was really trying my best, but it was in the in that way. It's like I tried something, which is to believe in the church that was handed to me. I try. I really tried my best, and when I tried it, it did not work mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And so I was like, "Well, I, I can't." Now that I know it doesn't work for me because yeah. I've tried it all the way. Yes. Then, because there, it was a level of, well, maybe if I just doubled down, maybe if I prayed more, maybe yeah, if I did yeah, this. Yeah. But then once I went all the way I could, I was like, nope, nope, I can't do this again. Okay, so you just got to that conclusion. It, it wasn't like a lightning bolt. It was there, but there are moments where I started to realize, I remember... Well, one, I went to a gay conversion therapy meeting and I remember so I remember going in there and I'm thinking, okay, like these are all gay people that are trying to like have Jesus take away their attraction and then finally live a life, a beautiful life. And I'm sitting in there and I'm like, everyone in here is miserable and they're not happy to be here. Yeah. Like, this is really sad. The energy, and I'm not even energetically sensitive. Yeah, I was like, this is dark. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is really sad. And then, like, you know, 
a couple years pass, XYZ happens, whatever. And then I start to real. I remember going to church with my friends in Chicago. And, you know, I hadn't been really going to church, whatever, but enough time had passed. And I miss it. I like singing worship. Yeah. I like the friends. I like going to church. Yeah. I like, oh, I mean, there are some great churches. Working with Kanye was very Christian. Really? We had Bible study every night. Led by who? He had a really great pastor in, um, in Atlanta. Oh. Pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. I went into this church, and I love worship music. And we were in there, and they were singing, like, the song was like, Oh, God, forgive me. I am wretched. I am a sinner. And I remember being like, I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe that. And it was just like, I, we don't deserve your love. And I'm sitting there being like, yes, we do. Like, what are you talking about? You made us. This is your fault. And then the pastor got up there and I don't know. I just remember having this moment. I'm sitting in there being like, I don't agree with this. And not just, mm, this isn't for me, but this is harmful. Like this type, seeing the world like this. I agree. So that was a big moment for me. So it was just these moments of realization. It's taken me a long time to really say that like, I don't believe Jesus is my savior. Like that, because I was completely trained to be, that's the only thing you have to say. Everything else, you can do anything else, basically. Right, okay. As long as you say that first. Yeah. Well, you said your mom was Mormon. Was your dad anything? Oh, well, my mom's not actually not Mormon, but her In parents are Mormon. Mm-hmm. And so they have eight siblings, and four of them are Mormon, four of them are not. And I grew up like going to Utah and going to like summer camp with my Mormon cousins. And it was so fun. It was wicked. Was it like hard for your mom to not be... More like were your grandparents like sad? Mm, I don't think so. They had so many kids and were <laughs> doing so much stuff. Yeah, they were just kind of they're very free people too. Like wow. no one was too high strung. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my mom moved out when she was like sixteen, and just wow. did her own thing. And what about your dad? Dad's side of the family is all tattooed up. Not there's no religious background. Just good faith. Um, I think that goes a long way for a child. Yeah. Faith and hope and prayer, I think, is a good universal thing. I think so, too. Yeah. It's like the best people, I find, have some basis of just, like, they were raised in a way that made them good. Yeah. I think it's just hope. Yeah. (laughs) You said something really profound in your book. Okay. Um, She literally, Kaylin has brought actual, like, questions and quotes. I did. This one was crazy. Sometimes I wonder what happened to God to make him jealous enough to give us death. Why did he do that? (laughs) (laughs) Why did he do that? Why did you write it? No, that was insane. And then there was another part where you were talking about how your life is a mixing board. Um, Especially you as a musician. I think about that constantly. It's like my favorite image because... Like, basically, to retell this audience, the, the the visual is... Listen to his book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Streams of the Ocean, available on all your platforms. Um, so, <laughs> you know the mixing boards in a recording studio? You can picture it. There's, like, a zillion knobs. So, if you've ever seen someone working one of those, sometimes if you slide one up, another one automatically goes down. It's like an equalizer kind mm-hmm. of thing, keeping every all the levels balanced. And so... I find that human personality, human experience is very similar to that. Like if you turn, let's say there's a knob that is community and another knob that is money. Mm -hmm. If you turn the money one all the way up, the community one's going to go down. Absolutely. I agree. And so there's all these like basically the universe demanding balance. And so someone could be, could have everything you want, but you can't see which knobs are turned down. That, that you currently have turned up, that mm. you will be devastated to lose. Yeah. I equate that to just paying attention. Like, what, wherever mm. your attention goes, energy flows, and that's mm. exactly it. Yes. Where is your attention these days? Um, my attention is on social media and connection. Mm. Mm-hmm. You, what, social media for your job or social media for what? Yeah, for my job. I feel like I kind of... Outsort or I like outcasted myself by being so defiant of like wanting to join TikTok or like get with this algorithm stuff and da da da. But I'm like, mm, actually, my livelihood depends on it. And honestly, I like living in the digital era. So I'm like, I might as well, like, if you can't beat them, join them. You know what I mean? That's cool. So a lot of people complain about it. You're like into it. 
I mean, this is like two and a half years later that I'm like, fine, fuck it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So what does it mean when you like, what does it mean when you're like, I'm focusing on my social media? You're like, I'm gonna make this TikTok the best TikTok you've ever seen? Yeah, and just kind of reflect, honestly, because I have so, I capture so much and never share it. And I think that's also why I like, I'm so eager to talk to because I have so much in my memory bank and so much life that I'm just like, I want to share it. And it's the same with social media. And I think like why we like certain people or why, yeah, why we like certain people, why we want to hear what they have to, t- to say is because they're saying things, you know what I mean? And if you're not, yeah. then nobody wants to hear what you're saying because it's out of, out of pocket. Have you ever experienced the dark side of social media, like being attacked, trolls, like people hating what you're doing. Oh my God, yeah. The people at, I, I'm not gonna name names right now, but the people at Kanye's camp, the night of the Grammys, DM me the craziest shit. The craziest shit. Being so mean. That's like, but that was a very personal attack. I mean, I've obviously had like whatever fucking reconciliation from being on Instagram. Just like normal shit though. I don't yeah. really And it honestly doesn't bother me. I don't care. Yeah. Unless it's like a comment that's like really drives a knife in for some reason. I am not bothered. So this just happened to me the other day and I want to process it because I, when something upsets me or like gets me going, yeah. then always hidden in there is something that I need to look at or I <laughs> yeah. need to, because like if it, if I said, if I said in a comment, you have blue skin, mm-hmm. that would not offend you because you know you don't. <laughs> so you would be like, what the hell is this guy talking yeah. about? Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, so this person. DM'd me. So I I posted for Adele's birthday. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is like one of my best friends. I'm going to post about her birthday. Yeah. But he... And it's like a cute post of us watching a movie. Who cares? When everyone's asleep? Yes. (laughs) And this person, who I don't know. Yeah. I don't know this person at all. And he goes, get off of social media and... And he goes, your writing is too good for this. Get off of social media mm. and become a hero. Mm. And so I was like, and I responded to him. I go, will you let me live your life and I'll let you live yours? Mm. Like, I'm loving my friend and I post my life on here. Yeah. Like, I know that it's weird that I know famous people, but I don't know what to tell you. I do. Yeah, absolutely. And it shouldn't take away from you being a great writer and a hero that you're at your friend's birthday. I'm so glad to talk this through. So, but then I'm thinking... <clears throat> should I completely get off of social media and become this mysterious writer who oh, no one I, knows what I'm I doing? I honestly battle this all the time. Should I just become this person who doesn't give a fuck like Cormac McCarthy? Like, that's so cool. It is cool. But also, what I realize when I think that mm-hmm. also is that I also do not want to be performative. And I don't want to make, I don't want people to believe I'm something that is not real. I mean, that's because you like to be an honest person. Yeah, I can't stand. I know. And <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> I can't stand it. And that's partly why I think I overshare on certain things. But I have a deep reason why, which I'm going to tell you right now. Mm. I think because I was a gay kid and I, and I was so afraid of people finding that out because my whole life would fall apart. I was so afraid of like someone knowing the real me, like quote unquote reading my journal. Mm-hmm. That it, and, and as an as a desperately authentic person that ate me alive when I was young because I was I was like oh like let's say you and I were best friends in high school, I would be like we're best friends but there's gonna come a day when she finds this out about me and she's never gonna talk to me again. Okay. Now that never happened. Mm. All my friends were amazing and they were like we don't care. Yeah. But the lie I told myself was oh they'll care. Yeah. They're out of here, and so I think the pain of that in my youth made me now never want to have a secret. Yeah. I'm like, everything I am, I'll tell you. Because <laughs> that is my, that is how I feel free. It's like, yes. I will tell you all the things. And so you already know then, if you're deciding to be this mysterious off-the-grid person, you're going to feel trapped. I'm going to feel like I'm lying. I did that for the last year, and it made me fucking depressed. But what do you think about a Finsta? A Finsta? Go off on Finsta. I'm like... But Finsta's would you be able to 2.0. right? But would you be able to scratch the itch? A Finsta is like a fake Instagram for just your friends. So is a 
would you be able to scratch the itch of being yourself without mm. talking to the book? Because, like, maybe I don't need to share everything with mm. strangers. I don't know. As an author and as, like, a public figure and someone that speaks about society, I think it's really okay that you're involved in a world that is open like that. It really, really depends need to hear that. on how you want to... You want people to perceive you. Right, and the thing is, is that I don't want a constructed identity. Then don't worry about it. But people with constructed identities are so cool. Sometimes. They are cool. They are cool, but also, like, living your truth and, like... But are they sad? Yeah. And they're probably... I mean, I don't know if... Anyone that I think is trying too hard and is constructing their identity, I'm like, you are miserable. You may feel really cool. If, it, if it's true to, like, your authentic, like, path right. and all this stuff, like, that's amazing. Like, but the truth is that people that, like, are authentic... The thing is, it's all about authenticity. If you actually do not give a fuck about social media and you're not on it... Yeah. And you're just digging holes in the dirt in the wilderness and you're... And then I, you know... And then you write a book and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the best writer in the world. And he doesn't even have social media yeah. because he's digging holes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. If he, if then, if then I found out, oh, I actually love social media. I just want to seem like I dig holes. Yeah. I would be like, ew. What the fuck? Yeah. What and is that? Because you are so out there and you live this, you live a hot LA life, girl life. Like, <laughs> I am us, a hot LA girl. You're, base, you're the hot LA girl. Yes. <laughs> and we I need do love to a know. Party. Yes, and you should, and you shouldn't like not want that to be part of your identity, because that's it's what people real. love about you. Yes, absolutely. I want to go to a party. I love every party. <laughs> well, the, I was you just love parties, but hate the club. No, I like the club. I don't like. I'm scared a little bit of like a, like a Berlin gay fisting club or whatever, where they like <laughs> judge you going in or whatever. Like, I want to know that I'm allowed in there, but I but once I'm in there, I I am there. That's. I, how I, I love a laser. Mm -hmm. I love a little something in my bloodstream. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Love. Yeah. But so my friend Justin Beretta sent me this quote about people's creative habits. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that people always want to know is like, when do you write? Yeah. Like, when are you most inspired? Yeah, yeah. What pencil do you use? Mm -hmm. What, whatever. And it's like. I also want to know this about you. Right. But it's also, it doesn't matter because so many people, like some of the most creative people on the planet are, they do their best work from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Yeah. Because like, I was just talking to my friend Jason Russell about that. That's when he does his best work because everyone's asleep. Mm -hmm. No one's emailing him. Yeah. Nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. So he can clear. Yeah. I, the moment the sun is low enough in the sky to make people beautiful, boom, I'm trying to drink. I'm trying to live. I'm trying to yeah. smoke. I'm trying to like, <laughs> I am like, I cannot be productive. Okay. Love that. Unless, no, I cannot. Yeah. But so, so this is, this is, um, a quote that my friend Beretta sent me about people's working habits mm. that I loved. It's from novelist Doris Lessing. We, all of us, have limited amounts of energy, and I am sure the people who are successful have learned, either by instinct or consciously, to use their energies well instead of spilling them about. And this has to be different for every person, writers or otherwise. I know writers who go to parties every night and then, recharged instead of depleted, happily write all day. But if I stay up half the night talking, I don't do so well the next day. Some writers like to start, start work as soon as they can in the morning, while others like the night, or, for me, almost impossible, the afternoons. Trial and error, and then, when you've found your needs, what feeds you, what is your instinctive rhythm and routine, then cherish it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that good? That's really amazing. Well, I felt affirmed. I was like, I do like to party. Yeah. But I also like to sleep. Yeah. So I love a party, but, like, it is rare that I will party, like, after midnight. Mm. Oh, like, okay. I love, I know that, like, that doesn't, like, I love a party that starts at 9 p.m. I'll uh -huh. always be first. Okay. And I will get it bumping. Yeah. Maybe 1, 1.30. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And then, but, like, I have rules. It's, like, I never look, I never venue change. Okay. Be unless this is truly, like, a Coachella commitment. Yes. Or, like, a, like, a, I am in Paris and I am going all night. Like yeah. That is, like, mm twice, three times a year. I feel very much seen in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if I have, like, you know, done a little mushrooms or I'm wasted or whatever and it's now 2 a.m. and mm. people are like, where are we going next? Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't venue I change. Yeah. I go home. That's a great, it's a great rule to look Because I, I have venue change several times and I've, like, upped on the uppers mm. at 3 in the morning. Yeah. And then it's lame and everyone's getting weird and dark and then I'm like, 
why didn't I just go home? Yeah. And now the sun's coming up and I'm like, well, now my whole day is fucked. It's like one out of every hundred nights that it's worth it. Right. And then that's like the best night of everyone's life. But I try to like, I'm trying to find to know when exactly that night's going to be. I mean, like read the room. Absolutely read the room and just read what your spirit wants. Because if your spirit does not want to go out, it's not going to be the night for you. (sighs) Well, well, we need to party and write (laughs) and create art. Yeah, we should. And love life. Yeah. And go camping, honestly. I'm I'm in Want to? Yeah. Did you see my Jeep? I have a camper on top. Is that your Jeep outside? Yes. Yeah. That thing opens up. We'll yeah. sleep up there and no snakes get us. I wanna go camping. I wanna eat beans out of a can and drink whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Done and done. <laughs> Truly done and done. I'm planning it now. Okay, great. <laughs> um, thank you for being a guest on my show. Thank you so Just much so for fun. letting me force my way into your show. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Well, thank you, Kaylin. I loved hanging out with you, and I loved this episode. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time.